Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. I find the way in which politicians work out the collective problems of society always to be intriguing, if not confusing. In particular, the current manner in which the Congress of the United States is addressing national and international issues when both houses of Congress and the presidency are controlled by the Republican Party is quite confusing, if not frustrating. For the first time since 1953, the Democrats have not had access to the microphone in the political arena of our national government. In this edition of Radio Curious, we'll talk with Congressman Mike Thompson, who represents Mendocino County in the United States House of Representatives. I spoke with Mike Thompson from his office in Washington, D.C. on November 5th, 2003. As we begin, he's expressing his frustration with the way the Republican leadership of the House of Representatives controls what matters are heard before committees of Congress. He's talking about what happened when Democratic members of the committee came to a committee discussion where health care reform bills were under consideration. Reform bill that uh, is going to go before both houses for a vote. As soon as they showed up, uh, the, uh, the chairman of the conference committee adjourned the hearing. So I, I just don't know how you can have a hearing and put forward what it, policy that's in the best interest of, uh, of all Americans by having one small group uh, meet in secret to uh, conceive that policy. You described uh, the leadership as having a mission. How would you articulate what that mission is? I believe that they want to uh, pass their agenda, and uh, they want to do it with as little compromise as possible. Well, what is their agenda? Well, that would be determined by what the policy area is. Give us some examples. Uh, Let's take Medicare reform. It's the first uh, major reform of the Medicare program in 38 years. Uh, It seems to me that when you take on something that significant, it should be done cooperatively in a bipartisan manner, and we should do it in a way that represents all the people of this great country. Well, that's true, but if we're looking at the leadership, and I presume there are some people, uh, as you say, with a mission or an agenda, uh, presumably intelligent individuals, why are they doing it this way? Well, if you ask me for an example, and the Medicare would, would be the one, their agenda is to take Medicare and make it a private insurance program. They're pushing to do that. They want to move it away from a government program and make it a, uh, a private sector program. That's the agenda. That's what they're trying to do. And that's, uh, in large part, I suspect, why they are holding these closed-door meetings. What's your feeling on the government providing health care for everyone? Well, I think that we've got major problems in regard to health care. Uh, we've got 44 million people who are uninsured, and that number may even double if you talk to health care professionals uh, when you factor in the folks who are underinsured or the people who are in part-time or temporary positions because they come in and out of employment. So it may be as much as 80 million people who are unemployed. This not only creates a situation where folks don't have health coverage, but it also 
increases the cost that those who are insured have to pay for for their health care. I think we have to make some major changes in our health care, and we need to make quality, affordable health care accessible to everyone. How do you propose to do that? Is that something like the Canadian system where it's available to everyone, or there's a pay-as-you-go? Well, I don't know that there's a silver bullet answer for this right now. I'm asking for the Mike Thompson proposal. You can't have a Mike Thompson proposal anymore. You can have a Barry Vogel proposal. You have to have something that works. And I think it's a multi-pronged effort. You've got to look at uh, the most obvious areas of fixing the system, uh, which would be providing preventive health care for children and get as many children, get all the children covered so we can stop problems before they become acute and capture those savings uh, rather than having to pay for lengthy hospital stays, which are more expensive for children than for other folks. Then we have to look at the immediate need to take care of the long-term health care costs of the elderly. And uh, I think only by doing it that way can you meld that into something that will provide some access to quality, affordable health care for everyone to enjoy. There's programs out there that are working. The Healthy Family Program is working very, very well to take care of uh, those folks who, the the children of parents that work but don't make enough to uh, pay for insurance. There's expansion in that program. There are various ways that, that we can do it right now. Do you see that coming, considering the way you describe the mission and agenda of the Republican leadership? Well, I don't see it coming under this leadership, no. There doesn't seem to be any uh, interest in doing that. And as I explained, if if you look at the health care, the Medicare reform that these guys are pushing, I don't think that uh, gets us anywhere close to where we want to be and probably exacerbates the problem. You know, they want to push Medicare folks into HMO programs. And as uh, your listeners know, that doesn't work in rural parts of the United States. There just isn't the coverage there to provide for that. And then if you move it completely into the private sector, there's no experience that we've had that suggests that that's going to work. Let's uh, talk about the war. That's where the money is going. And on um, Monday, November 3rd, the Senate voted to appropriate $87 billion. And what was striking to me was that there were only seven members of the Senate present that voted in this past. How can that be? Well, as I understand it, they uh, they voice voted the uh, the emergency supplemental appropriation. They voice voted it. They didn't take a roll call vote. So that means that seven people voting in favor can uh, pass that kind of expenditure. What it means is they voice voted the bill. Uh, there was no objections to to holding a voice vote. It's not uncommon to do that. Uh, what is uncommon is that it's done on such a significant piece of legislation. Why was it that there were some members, if you know, some members of the Senate who chose not to speak up in opposition to it? Uh, Barry, I don't know who the seven members were, but clearly the seven that were present did not object to that. And why, I'm not sure. What I'm talking about is the other members of the Senate probably knew or should have known that that vote was coming up. I don't know. Well, let's talk about that $87 billion expenditure. Do you think it's appropriate? Do I think? That spending $87 billion to continue the United States operation in Iraq? Well, Barry, I think that 
the personnel who are serving in Iraq need to have the funding necessary to do the job that they were sent to do. As you know, I voted against the uh, unilateral invasion of Iraq. And as you know, I voted against the emergency supplemental appropriation of $87 billion. And I did it for a couple of reasons. It seems to me that there's got to be some accountability on this expenditure. And that's something that's absent right now. Given all the money that's been spent to date, it's another $80 billion had already been spent before this $87 billion appropriation was even introduced in the House or the Senate. And we don't know where that money was spent. I think that there's a lot of work that needs to be done to provide accountability on the private sector contracts that have been let, the the non-bid private sector contracts. I think we need to know why it is our mechanized equipment doesn't have the parts that's necessary. Uh, We need to know why we have uh, U.S. military personnel serving in Iraq without having the Kevlar inserts uh, in their body armor. We need to know why it is that families from across our district and every other district in this country is having to send supplies to their sons and daughters and community members who are serving in Iraq. Uh, When you have to have a bake sale to raise money to buy socks for your son and his platoon, there's a problem, and there's a definite lack of accountability, and uh, that needs to be discussed. We've got situations where Uh, We have American contractors that are bidding to do work, and we end up subbing that work out to Iraqi individuals for a fraction of the cost. I think these are all questions that need to be asked, and that is in large part why I voted against it. Do you think that the United States should continue to remain in Iraq, or should the troops or the vast majority of the troops be brought home? Uh, I think probably something different. I think what has to happen is that uh, we need to engage the rest of the world, engage our allies in the effort to stabilize and rebuild Iraq. We've created a situation over there that uh, is worse than before we went in. Uh, We have the stability of that entire region uh, hinged upon what happens in uh, uh, in Iraq. I I think, uh, as someone said, uh, uh, we broke it, we own it, we have to fix it. There's all kinds of options that face us, and I think it's uh, it's similar to what uh, Vince Lombardi said when uh, they introduced the uh, forward pass. And he said there are only three things that can happen, and two of them aren't good. Uh, we have a terrible situation over there, and uh, we need to figure out how to stabilize the situation. We need to figure out how to uh, bring that stability to Iraq, and then how to get our troops out of there as soon as possible. Well, I want to ask you about uh, why we went there in the first place, and now we stand alone. But first, I want to say that on this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with First District Representative to the United States House of Representatives from California, Congressman Mike Thompson. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Before we continue our conversation with Congressman Mike Thompson, I'd like to play you a favorite song of mine. Wasn't that a time? It's by Lee Hayes and Walter Lowenfels. It was sung by the Weavers when they had a reunion concert at Carnegie Hall on November 28th and November 29th of 1980. 
Wasn't that a time? Wasn't that a time? A time to try. The soul of man wasn't that a terrible time? Men who fought at Gettysburg now lie in soldiers' graves, but there they stand. The rebel tide and Children died to save the pride of rulers. Without shame, wasn't that a time? Wasn't that a time, a time to cry? The soul of man wasn't that a terrible time? Our faith cries out, we have no fear. We dare to reach our hand to all our neighbors far and near to friends in every land. Isn't this a time? Isn't this a time? Isn't this a time? A time to pray. Isn't this so wonderful time? On this edition of Radio Curious, we're talking with First District Representative to the United States House of Representatives from California, Congressman Mike Thompson. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Mike, it seems like there was a pretty odd set of circumstances, and it seems like there's a lot of people in the country um, who are saying, what's going on, and not getting answers to the questions that you're posing. Uh, there's something wrong with this picture. That's a question. Can you comment? Well, I guess I didn't hear the question. You said, I, 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 it sounded like a statement to me. Well, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, okay, Can you I respond agree. to that? There, <laughs> there's something wrong with this picture. What's going on? Well, I'm not certain uh, what part of the picture you want me to respond to, Barry. The fact that we send people to Iraq to start a war last March, and now we're spending a huge amount of money uh, to uh, support the uh, the American troops who are there. There's not money to support uh, health care, our previous example in our conversation, in the United States. Well, I, but I think you're rolling issues together. The fact of the matter is, the $87 billion that you're suggesting could have been spent for health care isn't available for health care any more than it's available for Iraq. Uh, 
The truth of the matter is, the dirty little secret, uh, these uh, uh, folks who are spending that money are spending money that we don't have. That's deficit spending. It's a problem either way, and the money's being spent. Absolutely. So that's part of the problem that we're looking at, that I'm talking about. So how did it come to this? What's wrong with the picture that brought us to this place in America at this time? Well, Barry, you know what's wrong with the picture. Uh, that's a, that's a, a, a very rhetorical question. Uh, there was a, uh, a movement by this administration uh, that led us into this war, and it's been, uh, it's been called by others a, a, a war of choice. Uh, I, as you know, uh, from the beginning, uh, I expressed concern, uh, have never believed that we were in any immediate danger uh, from Iraq, uh, voted against the war resolution to go to Iraq for that purpose, sat through all the top-secret briefings uh, where this, this administration tried to make a case as to why it was necessary for us to go there and was never convinced that there was, uh, that there was a reason to do a preemptive unilateral uh, strike of a sovereign uh, country and, uh, and voted accordingly. The uh, administration, as you know, uh, stated that uh, we were in immediate danger, that uh, Saddam Hussein had massive weapons of mass destruction, that he was very, very close to uh, uh, building, if he hadn't already built, a nuclear uh, uh, weapon, and made their case uh, that we needed to go in there and, and do it uh, unilaterally, and uh, that was the vote of Congress. And uh, that's what brought us there. And as you know, uh, subsequent to that, uh, we have not uh, uh, found any uh, indication that there were uh, anything and that there was anything in that country that put us at any immediate danger. Uh, you know that uh, we, uh, we, the U.S. military and, and the British military, moved so quickly that we crossed the proverbial red line into Baghdad faster than anyone had anticipated. So if there were any weapons of mass destruction, there's no way they could have been hidden. We were there too quickly uh, for that to, uh, that to happen. And, uh, and uh, it's clear that that uh, was not uh, uh, the case. And either uh, someone misled us terribly or the intelligence uh, under which we were uh, using to operate was so badly flawed that they missed this thing uh, by 180 degrees. That goes back to my question of there's something wrong with this picture. Either we're being misled or our intelligence is badly flawed. Um, Shouldn't our government run a more precise operation, a more transparent and upfront operation? I believe they should. So how do we change that? I believe we changed the, uh, the leadership in the White House in November. And you're supporting Wesley Clark. Tell us, tell us why. I am. I'm supporting Wesley Clark. Uh, I've uh, known him. I, I first met him uh, when he was the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Uh, I was over in Kosovo. I'd gone over with a group of, uh, of my colleagues to look at uh, the situation there. Uh, and uh, he was, as you know, the commander and, uh, and met him uh, on, uh, on that trip. I've uh, had a number of conversations with him. I've uh, talked to him about uh, uh, military issues and foreign policy issues. I think he has a, a terrific command of uh, foreign policies, foreign affairs. Uh, bright guy, you know, graduated number one in his class at uh, West Point. 
uh, was a Rhodes Scholar, went back to uh, be a, a professor at, uh, at uh, West Point. As I already mentioned, was a Supreme Allied Commander, a four-star general. Um, I think he has good uh, democratic values, and I think he's someone who can, in fact, win uh, the November election. Well, there's a lot of people in this district who would, uh, Democrats in this district, who would support Howard Dean or uh, Dennis Kucinich. And how would, in addition to what you have explained about uh, Wesley Clark's credentials, how would you distinguish him from Dean or Kucinich? Well, I, I think that uh, General Clark has uh, a better chance of winning, uh, of, of beating the, uh, the current uh, president. Uh, if he were the standard bearer for the Democratic Party. And I think he uh, appeals to a wider range of voters across this country. I think he appeals to uh, uh, to moderate, both moderate Democrats as well as moderate uh, Republicans. And I think that's what's going to be needed if we want to win. Notwithstanding the fact that he didn't declare his party affiliation until shortly before he announced his candidacy? I don't think anybody uh, is overly concerned about that. The, the goal is I don't to... Think, I just don't think voters across this country uh, really care uh, when somebody registered to, uh, uh, with one of the other parties. I think they're more concerned with someone who can lead this country uh, in a direction which uh, makes uh, America great and in a direction in which the American people want us to, uh, uh, to travel. On a regional level, do you think that uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger... Um, answers that desire? Well, I think that's probably a, 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 a prime example. You saw what happened in California. There were uh, a lot of crossover votes that voted for Arnold Schwarzenegger. A lot of Democrats voted for him. He said, I will lead, but he didn't say where he will lead us. He said he will represent the people, but he doesn't say what his policies are, which is an interesting response that he was elected with those phrases. I, I wouldn't I don't think I would have chosen the word interesting to describe that. I think it was sad commentary that uh, we can elect uh, anybody to any office uh, without knowing uh, what that person uh, believes in, or, or uh, especially in a situation uh, such as California, where um, voters would, would choose someone uh, to step in and address problems as serious as, as we have, uh, without having any idea how how that would happen. Now, having said that, uh, the elections has taken place. Uh, we have a governor-elect. We'll have a new governor. I, for one, uh, wish him the best of luck. I I want very much for him to succeed, not for his sake or my sake, but for our sake, for the sake of California. Uh, we've got uh, some major, major issues uh, that we have to deal with, and uh, I'll certainly uh, help... Uh, do that any way that I can. Do you plan on attending um, his inauguration on November 17th? I noticed uh, no. that. I, I saw that the um, uh, members of Congress had been invited. I Quite honestly, I didn't know the date uh, until you just told me. So, <laughs> Mike, you mentioned a few minutes ago the deficit spending with regard to the $87 billion or using that for health care. Um, with the major deficit uh, that we have now, whereas six years ago uh, there was a surplus on the budget, what's going on? What's going on with the economy? Well, uh, unfortunately, we're you know we're getting deeper and deeper in the hole, as you referenced. You know, the the latest is the eighty-seven billion dollars, but we're 
projected to have a $500 billion uh, deficit. Our uh, national debt has increased to uh, about $6.5, trillion. We're paying about $1 billion every day on interest only uh, on our national debt. And this is a billion dollars a day that can't go to uh, health care. It can't go to uh, Social Security. It can't go to Iraq. It can't go to pay off the uh, uh, the debt. It can't go to tax cuts. Who gets that billion dollars? Anybody who holds uh, paper on our uh, on our national debt. Uh, the frightening part of that is that about 38 percent of it, 36, 38 percent of it, uh, is held by foreign uh, individuals. Uh, one of the concerns is that uh, a big a big amount of that is held by uh, by the Asian investors, and uh, we run the risk of uh, uh, countries such as China being able to influence our uh, our economic situation, our interest rates in the out years. And that should give everyone reason to uh, for pause. Foreclosing on government property? Uh, well, foreclosing on uh, uh, manipulating their uh, uh, monetary policy to, uh, to uh, affect ours. You bet. Well, Mike Thompson, Congressman from the 1st Congressional District in California, I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately? I've just uh, read a book on the last flight back from California that uh, a friend gave me, and uh, he gave it to me uh, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, uh, it uh, has a connection with a member of my family, with my oldest son, uh, I think you know, is a firefighter. And it also uh, so it has a connection with him, and it also had a, uh, it was timely given the uh, terrific, uh, horrific uh, for, uh, forest fires in Southern California. It's a book called Fire. Uh, by the uh, same fellow that wrote The Perfect Storm, and that's a collection of, uh, of stories about his firefighting experience and the firefighting experience of his others. And it really uh, makes you understand how dangerous a profession that is and how fortunate we are uh, to have the brave men and women that we have as first responders. And in this case, it's firefighters, but uh, in every case, it's firefighters, it's police officers, it's nurses, it's our military folks. There are a, a whole bunch of very brave men and women in our district, our state, and our country who uh, go to work every day to make our lives safer. Mike Thompson, thanks for being with us on Radio Curious. Barry, anytime. Congressman Mike Thompson represents the 1st Congressional District of California, the area from Napa County along the coast to Oregon in the United States House of Representatives. The book he recommends is Fire by Sebastian Junger. The musical piece we heard in the middle of the program is called Wasn't That a Time? Recorded by the Weavers, Pete Seeger, Lee Hayes, Ronnie Gilbert, and Fred Hellerman when they had a reunion concert of the Weavers in Carnegie Hall in New York City on November 28th and 29th of 1980. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious are available. There are over 750 archives on our website, radiocurious.org, and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters, and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at radiocurious.org. The postal address is 700 West Smith Street, Ukiah, California, 
707-621-5482. The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.